This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Emily Freeman of Amazon and Phoebe Go of NetApp join us to talk DevOps and people and how they work together. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipor. Zipor. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have Emily Freeman from Amazon here to talk to us about her work in DevOps, including her new DevOps Revolution concept. So Emily has been doing a ton of conference keynotes lately and we're really fortunate to get some of her time here on the podcast. Emily, what do you do at Amazon and how do I reach you? Oh, you're so kind to me. First of all, I'm happy to be here. Uh, at Amazon, I think about all things DevOps and really... Um, thinking about what's next for DevOps, what's best for the community, and how AWS can tell stories about collections of services. You know, I think AWS is really, really great at discrete uh, services, but telling scenario-based stories uh, is a growth area. And so I'm hoping to help with that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Editing Emily uh, and GitHub Emily Freeman. All right, excellent. Also with us today, I invited Phoebe Go to help co-host the podcast. Uh, so, Phoebe, you know, what do you do here at NetApp, and how do I reach you? Hello, thanks, Justin. Um, I my, my official title is Principal Architect and Business Unit Liaison, which is a mouthful. Um, what <laughs> I do at NetApp, though, I, I, I like to say that the title doesn't match what I do. Um, I'm all about enabling our teams, and, and that's everybody at NetApp, all our customers, our partners, to kind of understand how we can best um, use the NetApp technology and, and kind of where the industry is going. My my big thing is communication and getting people to communicate to each other. So I like to say that I glue things together by do, doing a lot of talking. <laughs> I love that. Glue is important. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have your glue, but uh, just don't huff it. Just, just don't eat it by accident. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm on Twitter. So find me at Phoebe Go. I've been tweeting all things um, our recent conference. So, yeah. That all right. Excellent. So, um, you know, we're here to talk about DevOps in general. Um, but, Emily, I just wanted to kind of talk about what you've done in the past. So, I understand you have some background as a developer. And mm -hmm. what other things have you done in your career, just so we kind of get an idea of the places you've come from? Uh, I, I think the shorter list would be things I haven't done. Um, <laughs> my, my career has been such an interesting journey, uh, not a straight line at all, but yeah, I mean, if we're going all the way back, I started in politics. Uh, that was my first love. I'm from DC. I, I love politics, um, still do. And that was, you know, my, uh, my sort of first love and first career. And then, um, it turned out that, Certainly one party has less whining and dining um, than the other party. And I was tired of being broke. And so <laughs> I ended up getting a job in PR, um, did like community relations. I fell into writing and then editing, hence my Twitter handle, Editing Emily. Um, and it's at that point that I had my daughter, who's phenomenal and I love her to death, and I had a bit of a like quarter life crisis and things were going on personally with my life. I was like, okay, I need a change. Uh, and so I thought with much hubris, I'll just become a developer. No big deal. Uh, and so um, I was in DC at the time and I, you know, I was thinking I would go to a good school there or maybe commute to New York. 
and everyone in Arlington Ruby, I owe them so much. This uh, little group of Rubyists were so lovely to me. And they, they all told me, you got to go to Denver. That's the best code school. I was like, what? Denver? <laughs> Why would I go to Denver? Uh, but I hiked out here and I fell in love with the city. Uh, I learned Ruby. I worked in Java. Uh, and it was just such a fascinating transition into tech. Uh, and I, I thought at that point that I had sort of wasted my earlier career, uh, especially, you know, I had gotten really good at writing and communicating. Uh, and, and really, I would say my greatest skill is taking complex topics and distilling them into a really easily absorbed way. Uh, and that's sort of what I got good at. But I thought, oh, what a waste, right? Until I discovered developer relations. Uh, and this was the perfect sort of melding of both my worlds where I got to speak and communicate and, and talk to people who are brilliant uh, and convey their ideas to other folks in different ways. Uh, and so I ended up doing that for um, a small startup as well as Microsoft. I was on their cloud advocacy team before I joined AWS. Wow. It's quite a path. And, and I, it kind of reminds me of my own path because I started out as an English major and I was doing yeah. graphic design and then I moved into like a help desk role. It's kind of like wearing two hats at a startup. And then I was like, oh, I kind of think that this 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 uh, help desk stuff might take off with you know more pay than this graphic design stuff. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> plus, I wasn't very good at graphic design. So yeah, I moved over into tech and then I, and then I got a job at NetApp and now I'm in tech marketing. And, you know, to to your point about communication that's important that's very important if you can't communicate your ideas no matter how smart you are with those ideas you're never going to get anywhere yeah absolutely it's so true and I, I think we we've undervalued traditionally communication in tech i think we're getting better at understanding that it is absolutely um you know a hard skill not a soft skill <laughs> and completely necessary um, but yeah, we still have some growth in that area for sure. What do you think is the the skill that most tech people, I don't want to just say developers, it's anybody in tech, what, how would they develop their communication? What would you suggest one thing that they do? Oh, that's such general? a good question. I love that. Uh, practice. So I think, you know, it's, there's so many barriers that we self-impose with communication. I think a lot of it has to do with confidence and personality. Um I think when people, I'll take talking first and then because writing is a sort of separate thing, though they're related. Uh, when people talk to other folks, I think we get in our own heads. And I think, you know, because what goes on in each of our brains is it's like a, a mouse on a wheel. I mean, it's just, it's it's not organized. <laughs> it's very chaotic. At least this is my brain. Um, and so I always think I, I come off as kind of not super clear or concise, um, but that's not the case because I'm aware of all the sort of background noise happening. People around you, they're seeing your highlight reel, just like you're seeing their highlight reel. You don't get the behind the scenes of anyone else's life. Uh, and so, you know, be yourself. And I know that seems like such basic uh, knowledge and approach, but I still think so many of us are trying so hard to become something that we view as better, but you are the best you period. No one else is you. And so I, I love it. People are just completely authentic um, and genuine. And if that means you're kind of awkward, be a little awkward. Who cares if you're a little weird? I like weirdos. I'm a weirdo. Um, you know, like this is how we bond. I always describe it. It's like pottery. If you, um, 
I watch these like soothing Instagram videos when I'm trying to fall asleep. And one of them is like Japanese pottery and how they make teapots. It's incredible. But if you're attaching a piece of wet clay to another piece of wet clay, you have to scratch the clay. You have to mar it so that it actually sticks together. And I think it's the best analogy to how humans bond. We don't bond on the smooth, perfect bits. We bond over our scars and our wounds uh, and our fears and our hurts and all of that. And so being really authentic and, and being strong in your, your own self is such an incredible gift to everyone, just being in that confident place. Uh, so there's that. And, and also, you know, don't feel like you need to tie yourself out. I think I'm, I'm more on the extroverted end of things, but that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're introverted, you're inherently bad at something. I think some people confuse introversion with shyness. Uh, and so, you know, I encourage everyone to read about that. And um, for the extroverts to be quiet, <laughs> like there are so many gifts um, to just shutting your mouth and hearing other people talk. I think that's a, that's a learned skill as well. Um, for writing, writing is so much more about practice. I was not a, a fantastic writer when I first started. In fact, when I went and worked in PR, someone I deeply respect would just mark up my writing. Like it was so bad. It was just a sea of red marks <laughs> and it hurt. Uh, but she made me a better writer and I just kept going and you find your voice and your cadence and you learn, you know, the language that you're working in better. And, and then you learn how to break the rules and, and find your own sort of style. And that's really fun. Again, you're, you're sort of being strong in your, your own individual power. Yeah. The, the introvert cool. extrovert thing's interesting because, you know, some people mislabel themselves. They're like, Oh, I'm totally an extrovert. Right. Cause I yeah. talk to everybody, but at the end of the day, I'm so tired. <laughs> yes. Why are you tired? Well, you're not actually an extrovert. You're an introvert. And it's draining to do that interaction because you need your introspective time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's all about how you get energy, really. From my understanding, obviously, like this is not my area of expertise, um, but I like to think of it as how do you get energy? Do you get energy from other people and spending time with them? Or do you get energy from being quiet and peaceful and reading or watching TV or you know, doing something a little bit more subdued? Uh, and that's really the difference, that you can have shy extroverts. Yeah, I think that's really interesting in the tech space, right? That that you you see these people up on stage doing keynotes or doing great demos and breakouts, and they they may you know actually not want to be in front of a whole crowd of people and doing that kind of thing, but they value sharing knowledge so much. And I think that those are the people I'm always trying to pick out of a crowd because I'm like, how can I help you share knowledge without putting you in these situations where you are uncomfortable and you know you and and kind of sharing that we're a community and you know if you have great knowledge but you don't really want to present it maybe I can find somebody and, and you can partner with somebody who can be your voice and you know go out and do all those those events that you hate so much so it's so true I <laughs> yeah well and here's the here's the great trick for introverts if you speak at a conference or a meetup wherever you don't actually have to introduce yourself to anyone they all know who you are and that is amazing because it's like people come up to you. So it takes some of the pressure off. We're here to talk about DevOps. Um, and I always like to have people define DevOps because there's such a moving definition. It's like it's like the the seas, the, the sands under the water, right? It's constantly yeah. shifting. So when you when you hear DevOps, what is your definition? Oh goodness. I know. I think um 
I think this varies so widely person to person. Um, I, I definitely take the more cultural approach to this and making sure that, you know, we approach it as an engineering culture. Um, and I always think of it as something that focuses on collaboration, ownership, and learning, certainly with the purpose of accelerating the software development lifecycle from ideation to production, which I think it's so funny. That's the official stance um, in DevOps for Dummies, my book. And now, you know, I've mentioned the SDLC in that definition, and now I'm, I'm sort of rethinking that approach. Phoebe, what about you? What, what's your definition? Do you, have a, do you have a different one than Emily, or is it kind of on the same page as her? Very similar. Yeah, I definitely see DevOps and, and all of the associated kind of things that have grown out of that, you know, all the XOps things as really just being cultural shifts in prioritizing um, essentially how do we create the most success and how do we accelerate that success without burning out our people? I think that's where it really comes down to. And the reason they all kind of invented these uh, infinity loops is because they realized like at some point, like if you just keep going down the path you are, um, moving faster and faster, you, you you will lose resources, you will lose staff, <laughs> or people will just call in sick and so on. So I think a lot <laughs> of it is about how do we um, how do we build sustainable but constantly accelerating, you know, processes and loops and and build people into that. That description is so great because I keep picturing uh, a merry-go-round that's increasingly accelerating, and then eventually, like bags start falling off, people start flying off, <laughs> like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> talking about acceleration right like like business acceleration and this whole global like everybody doing digital transformation and it's like what about the people <laughs> yes so, yes yeah. good so, point so i'm i'm not hearing that it's hiring one person to do four jobs is that that's not what yeah that's is. a no that's a hard no justin um, <laughs> why not it makes me so much more money when i can do that oh my god i know no i think um I like to to make this joke about resume driven development. Someone recently asked, "Well, you know, how do we get away from DevOps being a job title?" And I was like, "We have lost that battle. It's over, uh, and we just have to live with it now." But I think, you know, I I'm a people person first, uh, community first. So honestly, if if having a DevOps title or an SRE title, whatever is the title du jour, um, if that's going to get you an extra couple, you know, 10 K a year, go for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> take the role. <laughs> Who cares? You know, um, get, get paid. So yeah, I think it's, people just approach it so many different ways. And I think it's really funny when people think they're, they're the ones doing it right. Um, and I would say everyone's doing pieces of it correctly. Right. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't say anyone's reached DevOps Nirvana. I don't think it exists. It just comes back to the whole like reason why I like to have somebody define DevOps because it, how you do it and how successful you are depends on what your definition of it is. And if your definition totally. of it is different than someone else's, then everyone's going to have a different opinion if they're doing it right. It's so true. And what happens if an engineering leader's definition is different than their team's definition? That sounds bad. That sounds real bad. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> not great. So what, what do you see people doing right when it comes to DevOps? I mean, obviously, every every organization and every team even is different. But what are the things you see most often done correctly or done in a, in a, in a good way? Yeah, I'll go with the things that I, I see that aren't typically spoken about. Um, I think 
Hiring for a team rather than for a role is really, really important. And the people who can nail that uh, are at an extreme advantage. And what I mean by that is every group of humans you put together are going to have a different social dynamic. And when you have a team, it's really important that any individual who comes into that team um, is able to both, you know, adhere to the culture that exists, but also, you know, push against it and challenge people. You know, we don't we don't want so much peace that we're actually avoiding conflict, but we do want a healthy balance of conflict. Uh, I think the healthiest teams are ones who can disagree really respectfully. And then, you know, it's, we call it disagree and commit uh, at AWS. And, and it's, you know, this concept of being able to not agree with someone, but when the, the team or the group comes to a decision that you're all in on that decision uh, and having that sort of buy-in is really important for engineering teams, which you, you don't want this like infighting um, or negativity to brew. I'm always surprised at how quickly uh, a couple little negative uh, people or factors can really, really breed anger and disappointment and just all these sort of negative feelings that you can really ruminate on too long. And then it's not productive. So that's definitely one of them. And then I think, you know, selecting the tool, like from a tooling perspective, selecting the tool you need, not the one that's cool. Right. I think, you know, I, everyone picks on Kubernetes, so why not? Uh, I think everyone that came to mind for me. I know. Too, and I was like, like going to say it. Here we go. Right, so why not? Um, but, you know, Kubernetes is amazing and, and we love it and that's fantastic. Um, but perhaps, you know, you're not quite ready to manage that yet, or um, you have some kind of other approach that you think might work better in your unique circumstances, right? Like every application, every team, every organization is different than every other uh, one of those things in the market. And so you're going to need to select the things that are best for your, your existing services, your teams and what they know, uh, you know, and that can be languages they're familiar with, tools they're familiar with or comfortable with, et cetera. And then, you know, making sure that your customers are actually getting what brings value to them. Having a really clever technical implementation does nothing but make you feel smart. It doesn't actually help your customers because they're not typically looking at, you know, your infrastructure or your backend business logic. Like they just want their to-do list to work and that's it or whatever it is, you know? For sure. And, and I think it's interesting that you say that, that it seems very um, team-driven, right? Like how the team or how this particular part of your business needs to do what they do really well, like delivering a good outcome to customers. I see a lot of uh, DevOps mandated, you know, top down, <laughs> like we do yes. DevOps at this company and we use Kubernetes because, you know, some analyst firm told me Kubernetes was the future of cloud or whatever. So yes. how, how do you find is um, the best way to approach kind of senior people in an organization when you're talking about DevOps? Mm -hmm. what's the, what's in it for them and, and how is the best way for them to implement it and get out of the way, I guess. Yeah. I actually devoted uh, a full chapter to this in DevOps for Dummies because I get this question so often from engineers who are like, okay, I have this idea or I think it would be better if we do X, how do I tell, you know, it could be anyone, right? It could be the direct manager. It could be the CTO. It could be uh, even you know, business owners, again, every organization is different and the, the sort of powerful people all have different titles. But 
it's really about persuasion and realizing what they are motivated by and what they fear and then how this would benefit them and showing how how that actually comes through right so the thing i always like to do is think about okay what if i were in this person's position what would i want next and maybe it's you know if they're accountable to a board maybe it's reducing costs or being you know delivering features faster or you know you'll you'll probably have some insight or intuition about what that might be but there's usually a motivation uh, and then figure out what they're afraid of. Is it, you know, engineers, a bunch of engineers quitting? Is it, you know, building the wrong thing? Is it having fragile uh, infrastructure, code, et cetera? Um, people fear a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons. And if you can remove that fear, you're 50% of the way there. I mean, so many people hesitate to make decisions because they they can't get past that initial sort of hump. And if you just remove that, the road gets a lot more smooth. Um, but then also, you know, showing like pitching the idea and proving it out. I think one of the most compelling things anyone can do is submit an idea, say, I'm going to take this little tiny service or this little feature. I'm going to build it out like this. Um, we're going to do, you know, we're going to hold a post-incident review about this, or we're going to, you know, do whatever you think is the next best thing and then show them why it was better. You know, and it doesn't have to be hard data. I think sometimes when we say data, we think it always has to be quantitative and numbers and, you know, really impressive. Qualitative data is still data. Uh, and you are a subject matter expert, which makes you and your opinion also data. <laughs> so you can lean into that uh, and, and really kind of just show them your vision and, and what you're thinking. So Emily, as a dummy, um, where would I find <laughs> the, the DevOps for Dummies book? Like, how do I get a hold of that? And can you tell me a little more about what the goal was for that? Yes. Uh, so obviously, I work for AWS, so you can find it on Amazon, and um, hey. <laughs> it's very convenient. Does it come with Prime? Is it the Prime shipping? Can I get it on Kindle? Uh, yes, I believe all those things. It's not, there's not an audio book, which breaks my heart, um, just from an accessibility standpoint, they wouldn't let me do it, but whatever, uh, you have to read it or download it. Um, the point was really to be able to express the basics of DevOps to anyone. And that my goal with this, I kept, I kept getting overwhelmed when I first thought about this and writing a book is always overwhelming. It's such a, an emotional trip, but uh, when I first started, I, I got kind of overwhelmed about thinking, who is this for? Why, who would read this? What are they going to glean from it, et cetera? Because, you know, in tech, we can get very fancy and we like to look smart. Uh, and it, it really kind of creates this barrier to entry. And I want to just remove that. And so I kept thinking of this CIO of an insurance company in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, not known for their Silicon Valley uh, VC funded <laughs> accelerated tech uh, economy. So and what, I really wanted to take someone like that who's dealing with unique constraints around governance and compliance, uh, certainly security, making sure there's data integrity, uh, these very serious considerations and make sure that they could see the benefits of DevOps and, and move faster uh, and, and not in a not in a way that was hoity-toity or, or prestigious, but like in a way that's like real down-to-earth, actionable um, path forward. So that was really, that was the dream with DevOps for Dummies. And I think it's helped people. I like, I like to joke that it's 
a book engineers buy for their managers. <laughs> you know, it's like you, it's, it's, it's billed as a tech book, uh, but it's really, it's really kind of a engineering management book and, and teaching people on how to, how to run a really great engineering team. I like that you, you kind of looking at it from a, you know, let's cut through all these buzzwords that people are, yeah. you know, and, and the trends and there's always another trend. I mean, I'm sure you could replace a lot of technologies with other technologies and you get the same kind of blank looks from people going, is that the right thing I'm supposed to use? So yes. I, I think that's really important. And I, I love that you've written, you've actually written a book that's something you can send to people about it and not just, you know, uh, trying to explain it to them in person. <laughs> yes, thank you. So in listening to your description of, you know, kind of the whys of why you came up with that book, it sounds like it spawned your next project, which is the DevOps revolution. And, it, and I guess it got you thinking about how archaic some of the software development cycles are and how they can be improved upon. Is, is that accurate or is that something that just came out separately? Uh, it was a little delayed. I would say I was, I was pretty uh, crispy from burnout after the book. I'd honestly, um, my editor was named Susan and Susan, I'm sure is a lovely human being. But, uh, at the time I was like, you know what? Ship it. I don't care if there's typos. I'm not looking at this anymore. <laughs> I don't, I'm done with this book. Uh, no, I, let's see, probably COVID, uh, and the era of, you know, spending a lot of time in my house. I started to think about what's next for DevOps. And part of this comes from like little murmurs I've heard throughout corners of tech and, and how people are kind of talking about this. I mean, DevOps at this point is sort of table stakes. That doesn't mean that everyone's, you know, gotten on board and that everyone's implementing it perfectly and no, you're not late to the party and it's okay. Uh, but the people, the sort of early adopters, the ones who are always at the cutting edge and, and want what's next, they're the ones who are like, well, okay, what, what's happening now? What are we, okay, cool. We got DevOps. What now? Uh, and I, I started thinking about it and it, it kept coming back to the ecosystem is radically different than when DevOps was created. Um, you know, we don't have these traditional engineering cultures anymore. And whether you have opinions on how a DevOps implementation looks as far as organization structure, we don't typically see, you know, developers shoving code at operators now. And we've removed a lot of that friction. That said, um, you know, lots of other things changed as well. We've, we're moving to the cloud. Uh, we don't manage on-premises infrastructure. Um, we are utilizing managed services. We're having to think a lot of, about a lot more broad considerations. Um, there's just so many different things with like distributed complex socio-technical uh, socio, um, systems. How do we actually function in that? Uh, and when I start thinking about cloud native, that is not a story that DevOps in its current form can absorb. It just can't. Uh, and for me, the first step in that kind of evolution is a revolution. And it has to do with the SDLC because the software development lifecycle has been around since the 60s, the 60s, like before color television, y'all. This is nuts. Uh, and <laughs> we still use it. This linear, single-threaded, um, you know, step-by-step -step beginning and end line, you know, it's, it's wild to me and it's so embedded in our daily language. You know, I think some people think, well, the SDLC, no one really uses that anymore. Yes, we do. And here's why, even if that's not something that you use all the time, when you say we're going to shift security left, that is because of the SDLC. You are looking at the SDLC and shifting the concepts 
of security left in the process and considering it more in the architecture design phase. That is the SDLC. Like it, it is embedded into our daily lives, but it doesn't work anymore and it needs to be refreshed. And so I, I've pitched this initial idea uh, and I'm curious to see how the community absorbs it and changes it and, you know, makes it their own. What you've developed is this this circular concept where you don't have to worry about left to right. You just move things in, in the concentric circle from center to out or out to center. And that, yes. That, yes. And you don't even actually have to go, you know, counterclockwise or, or clockwise. It can be, I wanted something where it shows that there can be a pause and a pivot and a, a movement. So to describe it, there's three, there's, sorry, there's five concentric rings. And it starts with architecting and then moves inward toward operating. Um, someone asked me, they're like, well, is architecting more important than operating because it's bigger? I was like, no. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I, in a perfect world, I would be able to, to um, design this and, and kind of showcase it in a three-dimensional manner. But I do think that helpful models should maintain their meaning in two-dimensional um you know, sort of, sort of displays. So with that, something had to be bigger and something had to be smaller. Uh, so architecting ended up being bigger. And I think I chose that because when you're designing a, a technical system, you don't, you're thinking broad, you, you can really imagine all the possibilities as you get into releasing code and operating it in production, your constraints become a little bit more tighter. You're, you're operating within a system. Um, but then, you know, each of those rings describe what I call a role. And my thesis being, we use the term persona a lot. Well, this person's a developer and this person's an operations engineer, a, develop, a DevOps engineer. Um, I don't think that personas change. I think once you identify yourself as something, you are going to always identify yourself as that thing. Um, certainly there might be exceptions, but generally I think that's a, a good approach. And so these describe roles, you know, our roles vary day to day, hour to hour, depending on what we're actually doing in a system. So I think a role is better reflective of our everyday work. And then around there's six spokes that describe considerations we have to think about in any engineering work. And it's testability, securability, reliability, observability, flexibility, and scalability. Uh, and so, yeah, you can, you know, you can be a developer and on call and be operating something and, you know, viewing telemetry and thinking about observability. You can then flip back to reliability if you're trying to fix an incident, et cetera. Um, so I really wanted something that was dynamic and enabled a better model to describe the, frankly, chaos of our, of our work. So I, I look at this and it, it reminds me of those little toys that you give to your kid when they're babies, those little rings, you know what I'm talking about, where you stack. Oh yeah. Rings. Like a, like a little rattle thing. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. Not, not just the rattle. Like it's, it's the little, it's got like a little cylinder and you put like the rings on top of it. And, oh and yes. The stacking toy, the and stacking it, toy. Yeah. And the stacking yeah. toy. And like, it doesn't, you know, there are bigger rings and smaller rings, but you can reorder them however you want. Yeah. Right? So this is, that, that kind of reminds me of this because this doesn't have to be in this order. This can be in the mm -hmm. order of your priority. Yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to someone, you know, this is open source. I'll, I'll send you the chat or the link so you can put it in the notes, but people can make it 
what they need to, right? This is designed to be a community model that, that people can shift and change and evolve. Um, and so some, I was speaking to someone and they're going to shift flexibility to agility based on their spe- uh, specific use case. And I was like, yeah, go for it. I think that's, that's great. It's going to change depending on where you're at or how you're utilizing it. All right. So based on that and, and the fact that people are going to evolve this, you know, to, to meet their own requirements, what do you think? Are there, are there elements that you think should stay the same regardless? Or That's a good question. Pillars? <laughs> um, what are the ones that should stay? Uh, I would say, you know, I mean, this is where the great debates happen, but I, I put testability as, as first among equals for a reason. I think any system at this stage in our industry that does not have an pretty expansive test suite is just asking for trouble. Um, obviously security is always going to be a consideration. I mean, we have so many con- considerations around personal privacy and, and that kind of, you know, information that we don't want shared. There's various rules across the world that we have to adhere to. Um, I would also kind of group governance and compliance in this, making sure that you're, you know, following the laws of your industry. (laughs) These things are always going to be uh, important, but I could also see, you know, someone rephrasing that to be governance and just putting security in that bucket. Um, Reliability and observability are always going to be somewhat tied together. That's why they're neighbors, Uh, but they're different. And I think, you know, you have to have an ability to see into your system and to get an idea of the inner workings of that system. Um, So that's always going to be incredibly important. You've mentioned community, Emily. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it comes to community and there's obviously development of the model and hopefully people adopting the model, not just theorizing about it, but starting to to look at this in their, in in reflection of their own uh, teams. Um, But what else could the community do to evolve this? I mean, that's such a big part of DevOps. yeah, what, what else, how else do you see them kind of taking this model and, and helping that build on other things? Like, do you I see love building new, new kinds of technologies or anything like that? <laughs> I mean, possibilities are endless. I think I, I am community first. And so this is, you know, I'm one person and I can reflect on the things that I've seen and, and how I think about you know, our work, but I'm not going to see every situation. And so I need everyone else's perspectives to really add depth uh, and, you know, the sort of in production capacity to this, to this model. This is theory right now. um, And I'm curious to see how people apply it, how it, how it shifts and just their everyday work and communicate that to me. Like, please never be afraid to say, I don't think this works and here's why, or this is what we're using. Um, you know, I, I love that. I think that's incredible. And it, it gives revolution the most dynamic uh, sort of living, breathing um, ability to, to really impact the industry. I think obviously, you know, you can hit me up on Twitter or GitHub, um, but I think people are going to use this in different ways. I, I saw someone kind of create a map over it where you could evaluate at the start of a project where you think you're ranking in these categories uh, from like one to 10, et cetera. And then after kind of evaluate from there, I think that's really interesting as a, a way of collecting data and seeing, a, you know, how a team or, or application or 
process is progressing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just use it and relay the feedback and make it your own. That's, that's my hope. That's awesome. I'd love to see it um, more from, you know, I've, Justin and I are from an infrastructure kind of background. So yeah. I'd love to see this, especially, you know, you, you mentioned the K word, uh, which you won't say again. <laughs> but <laughs> I think when it comes to those sorts of uh, technologies where it really blurs the line between software development and, you know, the platforms and the infrastructure, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so curious to see how your infrastructure folks and, and infrastructure teams start to take on what is ostensibly the software development lifecycle and start to evolve the way that they look at infrastructure as well. Um, yes, because all of it's de- all of it's deployed by code and APIs now. Anyway, so <laughs> there's a lot less hands-on stacking, racking, and stacking than there used to be. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see from an infrastructure perspective. So there you go. Yeah, I think if anybody has uh, has insight on that, I know I know storage people have opinions. <laughs> they do. They're the best. <laughs> yes, you, you, us and network people were the were the network best people. people to deal with. Oh my gosh. Oh, the network people are always wrong. (laughs) Well, you all, I mean, the network folks had such a highlight a couple of weeks ago when Facebook um, brought themselves down for a day. It was like this (laughs) obscure protocol that no one had ever heard of. And they're like, oh, I know that. I know that thing. (laughs) I've heard of that. I had never heard of that. Nope. <laughs> I only have heard of it because we all, we started supporting it like a few years ago. I was like, oh yeah, we support this. And then people are like, what Amazing. is it? I don't know. <laughs> magic. Amazing. It's magic. It. <laughs> it is magic. And it still blows my mind that the basic protocols that holds the internet together, which is basically, you know, straws and duct tape. Um, it's all these protocols were built. Like it's like DARPA level of things. This, this is the sixties and 70s that were <laughs> and it still works it's it's unbelievable it's like we're smoking on planes all over again man exactly. <laughs> you know what if they would give me a little more leg room i would deal with the smoke honestly i <laughs> no, not me man i was I, I remember going to the clubs in like the 90s like you can go in to see shows and stuff and just all that smoke and it's like man i can't do this this is horrible <laughs> oh i grew up in virginia and we were one of the last states to ban indoor smoking and so my whole childhood was just like yeah we're in north carolina so it's like well i am phoebe's not yeah but like <laughs> it's like yeah. same story man it's like tobacco central and yeah it was very very long time before they were like okay we'll we'll stop letting people smoke here okay remember the remember the cigarette vending machines yes they actually have repurposed those into like other things now they they really? sell like playing cards or stuff like adam it's interesting that isn't i would same shape objects yes but now it's That's vintage. amazing it's vintage it is vintage i, I feel like less I cancer want- causing Thank God. Yes, the playing cards have not been linked to cancer, which thank thank goodness. So you know, actually you should you should do an entire series of like things that were in the 60s that we don't do like like the jello molds with like Cheerios in them and stuff. Oh god. Like that sounds awful in comparison with like the the software development cycle, right? So you can like, hey, this is what we used to do. And this is what we do Let's now. Let's not do that anymore. No, Phoebe, have you ever spent time in the American South? I have not. Not much. I've I've kind of been to Raleigh, which is, you know, and just the tech center of it. So I've yeah. probably not seen enough of. Yeah, Raleigh <laughs> is not a good yeah. representation of what the American South is. <laughs> no, not, but not they. Like Richmond. Oh, yeah. But they, they, um, they have this thing in the South and they'll call things salad that actually do not contain lettuce. And so you'll have like cornbread salad. 
which is just like crumpled up cornbread with some things. Lies. Yeah. This is lies. It's lies. <laughs> or you have jello, sal- like green salad ambrosia. is jello. Yes, ambrosia. Oh, what? God. It's so gross. Well, go look it up. I mean, when you're feeling. I actually cold. like ambrosia. It's got like marshmallows. Shut up, really? And pineapple and cool oh, whip. You and said it's marshmallows. Like, it's like a dessert. Oh. It's like a dessert. It's not actually a salad. It's just like a dessert. I know, so but going it's. Going back to your very oh. first point, Justin, it depends how you define salad, I guess. <laughs> Such a good wrap up. Brilliant, baby. <laughs> what is salad to you? What is salad? Good question. That'll be your follow up podcast. It's like Aloha. <laughs> and, you know, it's like it means many things. It's true. I feel like if if you start this with a cold, a cold open, it should be, I love ambrosia. <laughs> Just- <laughs> you can add that to your uh, to your little um welcome. Teaser, yes. that, that, the music that starts at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm not technical. I don't know what that is. <laughs> What's great about ambrosia is you can put pretty much whatever you want in. There's jello, there's coconut, there's marshmallows, there's cool whip. It's just like it's a you know, horrifying corn, cornucopia of of melanges of flavors. Do you then, <laughs> You're do you using then, words. Like, deep fry it. <laughs> Would that make it even better? Yes, fried butter in green jello. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> well, that's like state fair food at that point when you fry something, like fried oh Snickers, fried Twinkies. It's I not good. Know who thought of that no, as an idea and then and then the people who bought it and went, this is amazing. <laughs> I bought it out of curiosity this this fried things. I'm like, no, this is not amazing. This is definitely not amazing. What does it well, taste like? Theory. Yeah, it, it tastes exactly like you think. It's like a donut wrapped around like an Oreo or something, right? It's like it's Got it. it's not transcendent. Whoa, hey, there's a dog. Yeah, those are those are my dogs. They had been calm, and then someone knocked on the door, and now all hell is broken loose. So. <laughs> Doorbell. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's so funny too because I have a big wolf, and he's like the most chill dog, and then I have this little Maltese mix named Archie, and he's a real asshole. Yeah, as small dogs are usually like that. They're like very, yeah. very insecure in their statures. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I have an Airedale Terrier, so big, the biggest terrier. Yeah. And there is a miniature version. I mean, it's not the same uh, breed or anything, but it's called the Welsh Terrier. And they look identical, except the Welsh is like micro-sized. And, they, and I've heard the, the breeders tell me that the Welsh Terriers are the ones with the ego problems, right? Because they've got oh, that's so little funny. guy syndrome, but they look exactly the same. So it's really little guy syndrome. I know. I know. There's so dogs in <laughs> they, just, they just need to realize that all butts smell the same, man. It's fine. <laughs> nope, they don't, apparently. Do you know what a third of their brain is their olfactory or however you say that word? Senses? Oh, like, like they, they, their sense of smell is just like that's the dominant part of their brain. One, you know. Yeah. I mean, we would be completely overwhelmed by it. It's wild. We have a cat and uh, there's he, we had the litter box in a place where the dog was getting to and, and he would always sniff out the treats. So, yeah, I mean, we'd be across the house and like, oh, there's a treat. And we're like, oh, <laughs> let's beat him to it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> amazing. Yes, totally amazing. Pet parent problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, enough about that. Um, you know, it's funny. Every conversation ends up there, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> all right, Emily, Phoebe, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about the things that you know about DevOps and helping us learn a little bit more about that. So, uh, Emily, again, if we wanted to reach you, how did we do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Editing Emily. That's the best spot. And Phoebe. Yep, definitely Twitter at Phoebe Go. 
uh, is the best way to get in touch with me. All right, excellent. And again, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Emily Freeman of Amazon and Phoebe Go of NetApp for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.